For many people and many of us, this day of Thanksgiving gives us pause to reflect on those things in our lives that we can be grateful for. And I'd like to take some time during the end of uh, this Dhamma talk to do that, to take some time for each one of us to reflect on that. But this evening, I'd like to give some special attention to the giving part of thanksgiving, to that part of the understanding, because that is often overlooked. And so this evening, I'd like to speak about generosity, the practice of generosity, for it is generosity which is one of the causes of gratitude. The Buddha said that there are two kinds of remarkably rare and precious human beings in this world, those who are generous and those who are grateful. And so it's particularly important on this day of Thanksgiving to reflect on that more. The practice of generosity is all about, in a nutshell, it's all about sharing our lives with others. And how is that important? It's something good to reflect on, on this day. It's not all about how it benefits them, the ones that we give to, that we practice generosity towards, but it's also a lot about how it benefits ourselves, our hearts, our practice of liberation, how it nourishes our highest aspirations. It's actually the foundation of our spiritual evolution. The Buddha spoke about generosity very highly all the time. The Buddha said, it is the beginning practice for those who wish to diminish the forces of suffering. It is the beginning practice for those who wish to reduce diminish the forces of suffering, and no spiritual life is possible without the practice of generosity. Sometimes you see the word dana, and um, I, I imagine all of you are quite familiar with that word, although a lot of times people say, who's dana? You know, not really understanding about the practice of generosity. So dana, generosity, is the first of the three pillars of the Dhamma. And sometimes the Buddha offered the Dhamma based upon these three pillars. In fact, the Buddha would always offer the first teaching that he gave to those uh, students, to those uh, men and women, lay people, monks and nuns. He would offer the practice of generosity first. So those three pillars of the Dhamma, the first one is generosity. The second one is sila, or living in harmony. The third one is called bhavana. This is the mental development of concentration and through that wisdom. So all of these three pillars are important foundations for our spiritual growth. They are what our uh, ability to move on the path of liberation is all about. 
The Buddha usually began his teaching with dana, but when the teachings came to the West, because in the West, uh, of course, we have a great interest in the teachings of the Buddha, but we started out here in the West with the practice of bhavana, this practice of mental development. And in a way, we started a little bit backwards. It would have been good if we gave more attention to the practices of dana, generosity, and sila, harmonious living. And so now we're beginning to offer those teachings more, those understandings more. During a time, I think I spoke about already during this retreat, during that time when I was helping one of my teachers, Munindraji, get through a period of time where he was uh, recuperating from a, an operation, some surgery. Of course, I was doing everything I could to help him get through that time period. And he was, as usual, his gracious and grateful self. But he asked me one day if I was really aware of the practice of generosity and understood it with wisdom. Not just practicing out of habit or out of the usual goodness of heart that human beings have, but to understand it more deeply than that. Manindra being one of our Dhamma treasures at that time, I already realized what a living Dhamma treasure he was. Um, of course, I said, well, I'm, I'm doing it out of the most wisdom I know how. I'm offering care to you because you are one of those beings in the world who offer the Dhamma, and I want you to be well so other beings uh, apart from yourself can benefit from your health and your wealth of knowledge. Later I learned, of course, that he wasn't just offering the Dhamma, but it said that when you offer the gift of the the Dhamma, you offer the deathless, the deathless, the ability to be free from greed, hatred, and delusion. Not uh, totally free. To get to that place where one's heart can be that pure, So, of course, what my help came out of loving-kindness, out of compassion. But he said, you can practice generosity with wisdom through truly understanding the cause and effect relationship of it, the immediate and far-reaching benefits of generosity. So he wanted me to bring it into the realm of conscious awareness, of wise attention and not only from a good heart, which is a good thing to do, but it isn't as broad, it isn't as far-reaching as when we know the true value, the long-term value of it. So I thought about how true it was that I'd offered and my help and in my life have had practiced generosity a lot out of routine, just out of what the ruts of the mind, just by habitually doing it. Of course it comes from a good heart, and that's wonderful. But it didn't come out of any deep reflection on what the goodness of this was for myself as well as for others. It came a lot out of being nice, of course, 
out of being the right thing to do. And so I was very interested in knowing how to practice generosity in a way that would be onward-leading, more forward and onward-leading than that. And so he shared his knowledge with me. And his intention was to help me to go beyond the realm of this uh, routine and to make it a possibility for me to practice generosity towards liberation. So I'm sharing the teachings with you out of that intention also. So these are some of the notes I, I took during that time. The aim of the practice of generosity is twofold. The first aim is to free others, of course, to free them of their discomfort, of their suffering, not just in the present moment, but in the future. We, we feed others to allay hunger, the suffering of hunger. It's to bring happiness to others, of course, also to offer our energy our time, our material resources to help others have a little happiness in this world. Sharing our lives, of course, results in greater ease for others. But the second aim is something that I didn't ponder too much about. I didn't know anything about, really. The second aim is to free ourselves. The first aim is to free others, and the second aim is to free ourselves. Not that we practice generosity with this agenda, but because it is one of the effects of generosity, generosity being the cause. It's a natural outcoming of generosity. Because in that practice, it's a movement of the heart to let go. It's a movement of the heart to open, to connect, and to feel that deep interdependence so that there can be such a safety in the heart that we can open, that we can let go. And this letting go is important all along the way in our Dhamma practice. It's said that the Dhamma is beautiful in the beginning, it's beautiful in the middle, It's beautiful in the end. And this factor of generosity, this um, quality of heart of generosity, needs to be present during all of our Dhamma practice, the beginning, the middle, and the end. Why is it important? Because it diminishes diminishes the force of clinging. We abandon clinging. Generosity is the opposite of attachment. And so it helps to diminish that force. Very important. In the laws of cause and effect, where generosity is the cause, the comic effect of that is greater ease for ourselves, greater abundance for ourselves on one level. But on a far deeper level, a far more uh, reaching level, the results for ourselves are hearts that are freed of suffering. And so in in the immediate act of generosity, 
we can feel greater ease in ourselves. And maybe a little bit along the way, we see that, you know, in, in um, the Christian way, we say, cast your bread upon the waters. And it usually comes back as a casserole. <laughs> Something like that. I know Jesus didn't say that. <laughs> But my aunt told me that. So So we have in the moment greater ease for ourselves. And a little long term, you know, we have wealth and abundance. And uh, more far-reaching than that and deeper than that is this total untangling of the heart, this great, great ease. So because of this habit pattern of letting go, that opening is easier along the way. It's easier and easier and easier for our heart to, as Manindra would always say, when he couldn't say anything else when I gave him my report, just let go, let go, let go, let go, let go, let go. That's all he could say at times. So on an external level, it frees others. But on an internal level, it frees our own hearts. It frees ourselves. It frees ourselves from the layers of clinging that we suffer for, the primary source, the core source of our suffering. Achan Chah said, Do everything with a mind that lets go. Do not expect praise or reward. If you let go a little, you will have a little peace. If you let go a lot, you will have a lot of peace. If you let go completely, you will know complete peace and freedom, the deepest liberation. So when we practice generosity, there are so many good qualities that are developed, not just this heart and mind of non-clinging that eventually leads to the end of suffering, But also, in a single moment of generosity, if you look closely, all of the Brahma-viharas are there. Metta, compassion, sympathetic joy, equanimity, all in this single moment. When I practiced um, not so long ago at the meditation center in Burma, where my other main teacher resides, Sayada Upandita, Uh, they often, or they always, offer the opportunity to offer a meal. And the donors, those who give a meal, are uh, the names are put on a board outside the hall, not out of an egocentric uh, meaning, but as a way of kind of highlighting the beauty of one's heart and to maybe be an inspiration to others who are present. And it's so it, it's such a different practice. It's a little uncomfortable maybe for those of us in the West. But I came to love that practice a lot. Um, in fact, during the offering, the donors would have a place at the side of the hall where they would sit with many of their family members and those relatives who would come to rejoice in their giving and rejoice in the beauty of their heart and would sit by the side 
of the hall just to be with the donors, those who are giving, and share their happiness with them. So in a moment of generosity, um, loving kindness has to be there. And Sedaoji would always say, loving kindness and compassion together. I, I would never hear that word be separated so far um, when, he, when he talked about it. He would always say metta karuna, loving kindness and compassion, goodwill and compassion. So in a moment of generosity, goodwill needs to be there. The heart in true generosity would not have any goodwill if one were not... Uh, if one is giving, there would be goodwill. There needs to be, there has to be compassion because one is concerned for the welfare of another. One is concerned for the suffering of the present or even the future of another. So we give. There's that sympathetic joy because you're happy for the happiness that they have because of the gift that is being offered. Not just happy because of the gift in itself. But many times, if we see more deeply than that, we're happy because of the giving, because that person is giving. So much of my learning in the Dhamma has become deeper in that way. And I understand now how important it is to receive a gift because it completes the generosity of another. And I not only am happy for the gift most of the time, (laughs) but I'm mostly happy because of the act of generosity and of the good karma that that person is generating. And not only of the good karma, but of the possibility of liberation more and more and more in that person's life. So sympathetic joy is there. And it's said that equanimity is also there because one has to be willing and able and in a balanced heart uh, to be able to let go of one's possessions, of what one is sharing. And so at one time, I offered a meal at this uh, meditation center. And um, during the first meal that I offered or offering for the day, um, walked in with everybody and got our food and uh, started to go towards a table. And then there is a friend of mine, actually, um, she's from here, Vajiranyani, she's a nun there. She would speak in Burmese and then also in English to say the kind of blessing or reflection that we usually did at the beginning of the meal. And also to give thanks or to acknowledge the donor of that meal. And so I'd never, I, in the past I would just see perhaps my name written down on the board, but this time the name was out loud, you know, and it was so um, jarring for me to, to hear my name out loud. And at first I hardly recognized it because I had a, a nun's name, that I was given. And then when I realized it was me, it was like I almost dropped my plate and I um, got so nervous. And then they, they made a reflection about the goodness of that gift. And everybody in the hall said, 
to me, and not to me personally, but for the giving, said, Sadhu, 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 well done, well done, well done. And um, I really took that in and just felt so grateful that everybody rejoiced in my own happiness for giving, could be happy for, for me for giving. And I didn't have any family there to look on, you know, except Steve was there, my partner. And um, uh, that was the first day that I was in robes. And so I glanced over at him, and he was kind of beaming to see me in robes, happy that I was in robes, and also um, a little, I don't know, maybe I looked a little strange with a bald head and everything. But um, it was such a happy moment for me. And I often remember... I go back to that happy moment and remember that. And just remembering that gives me a great seclusion of mind. Just remembering that. It, all the hindrances fall to the wayside. And just remembering that, the mind is so secluded. And it said, Mahasi Sayadaw said, that one of the um, great acts of concentration seclusions of the mind is generosity. Just remembering one's own generosity, mostly, and also just rejoicing in the generosity of another. So people can be inspired by an act of generosity if you really understand the beauty of it, the beauty of all those qualities of mind and heart that are being developed in that moment. The Buddha said, If you knew as I knew the power of giving, you would not let a single meal pass without sharing it with others. So, before that meal, um, the Sayadaw Ji, Sayadaw Upandita, knew that I was offering that meal. So, and it was also... um, the time when I had just ordained in that morning. And so he said to me, Today you are offering the meal to all the yogis here. Is that correct? And I said, Yes, Bhante, yes, Venerable Sir. And he said, And also to all the Sangha here. The Sangha means, in that way, means those who ordained um, all the Sayadaws and, and the nuns there. And I said, Yes, Bhante. And he said, sadhu, 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 even beforehand. We were in private. And he said, uh, it, it brings great happiness to the mind before, during, and after. So notice that. By giving, it brings uh, health to other beings. It brings beauty. It even brings life to other beings. He wanted me to know that beforehand. Um, and so I pondered on that. And when I went in to, to the dining hall and received the, the happiness and the rejoicing of others, it was something that I saw, oh yes, that's true. I pondered on what would be given to all of these yogis. So before I understood that, and during the time I understood that, And afterwards, even now, pondering on that, remembering that, I understand that 
And so it is said that the act of generosity is completely surrounded by happiness before, during, and after. That generosity brings great happiness in this world to ourselves, to others. It's also said that generosity develops the spiritual faculties, the enlightenment factors. This is something that was recorded through time. A nun who was one of the Buddha's chief patronesses, Vishaka. Actually, I'm not sure if she was a nun, but she, a woman during the time of the Buddha who offered the Buddha uh, places of refuge. She was very wise, and this is what she said. When I remember my acts of generosity, I shall be glad. When I am glad, I shall be happy. When my mind is happy, my body will be tranquil. When my body is tranquil, I shall feel joy. When I feel joy, my mind will become concentrated. That will bring the development of the spiritual faculties in me and also the development of the spiritual powers and enlightenment factors through this one act of generosity. It's said that generosity is the first of the paramis, those qualities of an enlightened heart or those qualities of a being that's developing on the way towards liberation. It's a very important quality uh, because it develops, it begins to develop all the other qualities that are important. Another thing that sharing gives us is a tremendous sense of stability, a tremendous sense of well-being. We're able to feel like if we actually ponder, reflect on it, understand it, know it for ourselves, we're able to feel like we're in this great web of life, not separate, not alone, not feeling this sense of separateness, but part of all of life. Um, I think it was Achan Chah who said, if you don't understand no self, you may understand it through non-selfishness. And that non-selfishness, that being part of all of life, helps us to understand that I am living here because of the kindness of others. And not only that, but others depend on my kindness to live. And so there's this great interdependency that we're woven in and that we realize more and more deeply as we share our lives with others. It weakens a sense of, it's all about me. One time, um, I offered a meal to those who were practicing in a retreat in Oregon. Maybe some of you were there. Um, where Upandita taught some years ago, a two-month retreat. And so I went there. I wasn't, I wasn't taking part in the retreat, but I went to uh, visit him and offer a meal to everyone. 
And so I called ahead and someone said, yes, it's okay, you can offer the meal. Nobody's offered for that day yet. And so when I went there, I arrived on the same day as another person who was a cook from actually the Vancouver area. And he brought with him many ingredients for a wonderful meal for uh, everybody um, who who was teaching at that time. And so uh, I learned that he wanted to offer the meal for that day too. And so he was cooking the meal, and I basically paid for what it cost to cook the meal. And so I was in the kitchen helping him, and we were chopping vegetables and doing what we needed to do. And this was a Burmese man. And I said, I think that uh, you had originally offered this day, uh, this meal, and possibly I took that opportunity away from you. And he said, oh, no, no, he said, no, it's good for you to offer this meal. I'm fine that you can offer this meal. It's totally fine with me. I'm still having a lot of happiness from another uh, thing that I did, another act of generosity that I did. So you can have this happiness today. And so we were there cutting, and I said, well, what was that act of generosity, act of, of kindness that you did that you're so happy about? And he said, you know, he said, I'm a cook in, in a hotel in Vancouver. And because I'm a cook, I have to cook many things that I don't like to cook sometimes, like shrimp sometimes. And this makes me very sad that I have to do that. So once in a while, I go to the market nearby, and I buy all the freshly uh, caught shrimp, and I put them in a big sack. And then I take them down to the ocean, and I let them all go. (laughs) And he said, from that, I still have a lot of happiness. (laughs) Just, you know, his sense of being so connected to life was such an inspiration to me in so many ways, not just the shrimp, but, you know, (laughs) allowing me to take part in that rejoicing, in that happiness. So the benefits of generosity... Here are some benefits. Now, in the simplicity of them, we don't realize sometimes how important they are. But some of the benefits of generosity that the, that the Buddha spoke about is, for people who practice dana, others will love them. Now, we don't do it for that reason, but, of course, well, sometimes we do. But when we practice generosity, we're... We're lovable beings, and we become easier to be with. And um, that's important. It, it makes us feel not separate. So maybe, you know, it's, we don't feel this no selflessness through uh, some ways, but we feel it through the way of feeling our non-separate selfness, through this love, through this not just loving, but being lovable ourselves, both ways. It's also said that one who practices generosity can enter any group without fear. 
we don't realize that so much because it's so simple. But it's, it's actually something very precious to reflect on. A third benefit is it brings great happiness not only to others but to ourselves, which I've tried to uh, share with you about. Another experience of generosity was um, at the beginning of this year, I was in uh, Sagain in the north of Burma. I was at a monastery called Sitagu, or they call it in Burma, Thitagu. And um, the first day that we arrived there, I was with a group of friends doing some study in the Abhidhamma, in Pali, and in the Dhammapada. And um, they said that the next day was a great celebration day. And early in the morning, people from the village were going to come from different parts of not just that village, but uh, that place, but of the surrounding places. And they were going to feed 500 monks. And I thought, wow. And they said the monks were all going to enter through these gates and go down this line to be fed by these uh, people of the countryside and the Mandalay, the city nearby, and the various communities and I always heard about, you know, the, the Buddha was accompanied by 500 monks or Moggallana or Sariputta was accompanied by all these monks. So I thought, I'm going to wake up early and I just want to see what 500 monks looks like. I had no idea. And, you know, in that town, of um, there are monasteries in that area, Sagain. There are a thousand monasteries. There are 10,000 monks. It was really amazing to walk, and there are as many nuns, maybe not as many. It was really amazing to just walk through the streets and, uh, or anywhere around in Mandalay too, and have that many people being so dedicated to liberation, to the Dhamma. It was totally deepening in faith. Uh, for me. And so um, I stood somewhere nearby and I watched all these monks come through the gates. It was like never ending. It was, I, I actually didn't see the end of the line. There were so many. And I walked to where they were offering food. And those uh, people in the communities, the villagers, um, in this long line offering rice and different curries. They were so happy to offer. I just saw the happiness on their face, so much part of their culture, but so wise. So um, seeing that brought a greater inspiration to me to practice generosity more. So why are we happy in practicing generosity? Because in that moment we abandon three root torments of the mind. The first root, of course, is greed. Greed is the opposite of generosity. And in a moment of generosity, greed cannot be present. 
We also abandon ill will because goodwill is there, because metta is there. We also abandon delusion if we're doing it through wise attention, if we're really bringing mindfulness to our practice of generosity. Generosity is not to be practiced just willy-nilly, out of habit. It's to be reflected on before, during, and after. Can we bring that kind of wise attention to it? And in that way, we abandon the root torment of delusion. We begin to abandon that. It's said that there are different ways that dana becomes powerful. The first way is because of the purity of the giver. The second way is because the purity of the gift. And the third way is the purity of the receiver. So it becomes powerful when the giver is a giver with a rejoicing mind, with a mind that rejoices in giving and is happy in giving. It comes from a pure heart when giving comes from a pure heart. The purity of the gift. It's said that when things that are given are rightly earned, so not from the recent bank robbery, for example. (laughs) Of course, rightly given. And the purity of the receiver. It's said that the purer the field of sila is, the field of non-harming is in the heart of the receiver, that makes the gift uh, more powerful. There's also something about generosity or this act, this action, that makes it powerful. And that is when it's unprompted. When it's unprompted. When it comes without someone else or something else prompting us because when it's unprompted it takes much stronger intention karmic force and so because that karmic force is stronger it has a greater result so unprompted the buddha gave so much in his 45 years of teaching that we are still enjoying the fruits of his giving The Buddha said, the gift of the Dhamma excels all gifts, the gift of freedom, the gift of the deathless. So just closing, the the sharing of the teaching of generosity with something from Sri Ramana Maharshi, one of my most beloved um, teachers in his absence from this life on earth. He has come to teach many beings. And Ramana Maharshi said, all that one gives to others, one gives to oneself. If this truth is understood, who will not give to others? So that's about the giving part of thanksgiving. And I wanted to leave some time for the gratitude part of thanksgiving, for the thanks part, because um, 
it's a day when usually, maybe it's every day for many of you that we reflect on gratitude. As Rumi says, um, giving thanks for the abundance is sweeter than the abundance itself. So, gratitude. Gratitude, it's this, the same kind of holy communion that generosity is. Because it communes us with others. It, it dissolves the boundary between ourselves and others. It allows us to connect in ways deeper than we ever thought we could, perhaps. Here on retreat... There are many acts of generosity and many times of gratitude, I'm sure, in all of our hearts. We can be grateful because we have the precepts. We live by this understanding of non-harming. And it's said that giving that gift of living by the precepts is a great gift. Because what you actually do is give the gift of fearlessness to others. When we all know that everyone else is living in this, upholding this dignity of non-harming, then we feel safe. We live without fear. So it's giving a great gift to one another when we do this. We have gratitude because there's a lot of compassion that happens around here. Sometimes it's may, it may not be seen so directly. It may not be with a softness of heart, but it may be with a heart that needs to be sterner, a heart that knows that the end of suffering needs sometimes some waking up, which can be difficult which can be, it can be painful, but that kind of pain is pain going, not pain coming. Compassion, because we recognize the suffering of others. We give something up so that others may be more at ease. An obvious example is we give up using scented products here because It causes harm to others. It hurts others. And we may not understand that ourselves because we're healthy and strong. But it's difficult for others. We have the gift of noble silence that we can all be grateful for. The gift of that kind of um, seclusion so we know that our unfolding doesn't have to be interrupted by someone else's uh, talking to us. So that we know that the process that we need to go through to unfurl this heart that's um, in various different karmic knots that we're unfurling, we can go through that process in silence, in noble silence. So there's so much, the cooks that offer so selflessly and also with great joy, I might add, uh, 
the food that we partake of to help us have life. Um, One of the cooks said to me today when I thanked her for the meal, she said, it makes me so happy just to give. It's not just what is being given, but just the fact of giving makes me so happy. And of course the staff um, going kind of beyond the call of duty many times to do what is necessary to keep the container of the retreat intact, to be able to um, let everyone as a community and individually have the best retreat possible. And all of us, the teachers, uh, we give because we know it's right to give. It's a part of our practice. It comes out of an easefulness of heart. It comes because we know it's part of the path of liberation for ourselves as well as for those who receive the gifts of the Dhamma. So there's so much patience, tolerance, all of us, you included, offer. So I wanted to leave some time, um, maybe about 10 minutes, for our own reflection on gratitude that we can have. And before that, I just wanted to read uh, this Mahamangala Sutta. It's called The Highest Blessings. Things that we can be grateful for. This is the words of the Buddha from the Sutta Nipata. So maybe we can all get in our places of meditation. And we have about 10 minutes left in this hour, so um, just as a gift of silence to give you for your own practice of gratitude. I'd like to read first the Maha Mangala Sutta. The Sutta on the Highest Blessings. Thus have I heard, once the Buddha was dwelling near Savati in the Jetta Grove at Anattapindika's monastery. Then, as the night was passing away, a deity of surpassing radiance illuminated the entire Jetta Grove, came to the presence of the Blessed One, and drawing near, respectfully saluted, and stood at one side. Standing thus, that deity addressed the Blessed One with a verse. Many devas and human beings, wishing for well-being, yearning after good, have pondered on blessings. Pray, tell me, what is the supreme blessing? And the Blessed One responded, Not to follow or associate with fools, to associate with the wise, and honor those who are worthy of honor. This is the highest blessing. To reside in a suitable locality, to have done meritorious actions in the past, and to set oneself on the right course, 
towards liberation. This is the highest blessing. Education, craft, a well-trained discipline, and a well-trained mind that offers wise speech. This is the highest blessing. The support of mother and father, the cherishing of partner and children, and a peaceful occupation. This is the highest blessing. Generosity, wise conduct, helping relatives, blameless actions. This is the highest blessing. Ceasing and abstaining from the unwholesome, restraint with respect to intoxicants, and steadfastness in virtue. This is the highest blessing. Reverence, humility, contentment, gratitude, and the timely hearing of the Dhamma. This is the highest blessing. Patience, the willingness to be corrected, association with exemplars of the Dhamma life, and discussion of the Dhamma at the right time. This is the highest blessing. Self-control, perception of the noble truths, and the realization of Nibbana. This is the highest blessing. When one's mind is not shaken when affected by the worldly vicissitudes, sorrowless, stainless, and secure. This is the highest blessing. Those fulfilling matters such as these are everywhere unconquered. They go everywhere in safety, in every way moving happily. To them, these are the highest blessings. So let's take some time to sit, do our own practice of gratitude. 